Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Hello, friends and neighbors. And welcome. Welcome to this week's roundtable, where we look back at the big news of the week and try to make some sense of it all. And boy, what a busy week it's been. With a big Thursday vote in the House, the impeachment inquiry is now officially underway and public hearings will begin soon. Meanwhile, several top administration officials, including one who was on that fateful call between Donald Trump and President Zelensky of Ukraine, have testified that there was, in fact, a quid pro quo, all orchestrated by Rudy Giuliani. In Syria, the head of ISIS was run down by U.S. Delta forces, thanks to intelligence provided by to us by the Kurds, in return for which Donald Trump threw them under the bus. And Twitter says it will not accept any political ads in 2020, while Facebook says we'll run anything you want outright lies or all. <laughs> so here to untangle it all with us today, Pema Levy, political reporter for Mother Jones. Hi, Pema. Hi, how you doing? Good. Dr. Julianne Malveau, economist and columnist for Black Press USA, joining us for the first roundtable. Welcome. Good to be with you, Bill. It's good to see you. And Brad Woodhouse, former communications director for the DNC and now the executive director of Protect Our Care making sure that Obamacare is still available for millions of Americans. Hello, Brad. Good morning, Bill. All right. Good to see you guys. So for the fourth week in a row, the big story is the impeachment inquiry. And the big story about that, I guess, the breaking news today is that uh, we learned that John Bolton will testify if he gets a subpoena <laughs> to testify. Um, Pema, is this going to be the one John Bolton that brings the Republicans on board? <laughs> uh, I doubt it, but you never know. Uh, you know, I think but John it's a big deal, huh? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like he's he's basically saying that you know the executive privilege claims um, are not going to stand up against a subpoena. So go ahead and send me a subpoena here. Uh, you know, he clearly didn't leave the administration on the best of terms. And I think what we know from the people who have testified, a lot of people who worked under him. Um, have said that he basically saw what Rudy, on, Rudy Giuliani was doing was dangerous, um, was, you know, his own shadow foreign policy. I think he referred to it as a drug deal uh, <laughs> and that he wanted no part of, uh, you know. And, and you know, when, when you get shunted from the Trump administration, you're, you're sort of on your own, right? You know, Trump doesn't really command that loyalty for a lot of people once he's, you know, sort of sends them packing um, unceremoniously, and that's mm -hmm. what happened to Bolton. And so I think it'll be really interesting to see what he's willing to say. So, Julian, I, I thought one of the most interesting developments this week was that Donald, the president himself said to Republicans, stop talking about process. Let's talk about substance. I want you to talk about substance. 
<laughs> really? <laughs> I found that very amusing because actually all the Republicans have thought about was process. Is it fair? Do we get enough witnesses? That's been their thing. Uh, if they did drill down into substance, we have any number of things to look at. Mick Mulvaney's own admission. Oh, sure, everybody does quid pro quo. Um, mm -hmm. The the ambassadors who've testified. And, and there have been, see, Republicans are playing a very dangerous game because they're behaving as if they're victims. They're not in the room. But there are, you know, what is it, a third of the members of any of these committees are Republican. The majority has most members, but they're in the room. They're in the de deliberation. So that little stunt they pulled uh, busting into a meeting was just a stunt. And by, by talking about process, they're making themselves look like fools, except for the one-third of the population who loves fools. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we got so, Brad, the vote yesterday uh, in the House to proceed and to lay out the rules by which the inquiry will go forward, 232 to 196, as we know, it was basically a partisan vote. Two yep. Democrats broke and one independent, yep. Julian, otherwise partisan vote. But that, that does mean there are going to be public hearings. This thing is like a train. It, it's a train. It's definitely right? a train moving down, uh, moving down the tracks. And I think the, the thing about Bolton uh, eventually testifying um, in, in, the in, the, in the deposition and then maybe eventually in public hearings is that he would be the star witness. Now, there's a lot of possible risk and reward there because he is still a very firmly planted in the Republican establishment He's not somebody that I think wants to help uh, Democrats, but but he does seem to be offended by what took place. By the way, I think he's also offended by, and I thought it was a weird match for him to be national security advisor, offended by uh, Donald Trump's, the rest of his foreign policy, um, including his approach to North Syria, Korea. approach to North Korea. I mean, it's so anti-John Bolton, but John Bolton has spent uh, a you know a decade and a half or more on television he's done a lot of it on Fox I think he has the potential if uh, if he is going to testify to what we've heard and what was in the transcript that we now know wasn't complete I think he stands to be the star witness in uh, in the public hearings yeah so Pema in terms of back to substance process looking at substance we now have as Julianne pointed out I, I forget all of them, but William Taylor, um, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, apparently yesterday Mr. Sullivan, I guess, or Morrison, Morrison, Morrison. Morrison Mr. Yeah. Morrison, um, all of whom has said, and Sunland even, that there was a quid pro quo. They were withholding military aid um, in, in return for an investigation into Joe Biden and maybe a White House visit, right? Okay, so... Um, is that substance? Can Republicans stand and defend that substance? And do you see start to do we? I ask you all: Do you start to see any cracks, particularly among Republican senators, saying we can't defend this? Yeah, I mean, I think back to what Julianne said. I, I, I'm like the one defender here a little bit of Mick Mulvaney here. Um, not that I think that he was being particularly clever, um, or he he clearly sort of fumbled. Uh, but I think that he kind of had the Trump line right, which is to go out and say, yeah, we did it. We're doing it in the open and get over it. It's not a big deal. Right. Instead of trying to say we didn't do something we clearly did. Right. You just right. normalize it and then move on. Yeah. So I think that, you know, he didn't do a good job of it. It didn't go over well. Uh, but I think on some level, 
if Republicans are going to stick with Trump, they're going to have to adopt that line. They're going yep. to have to figure out a way to say, you can, as <laughs> um, the president, use your foreign policy powers to coerce other governments to help you politically, um, even if it goes against our foreign policy and our national security, and be okay with that. And I don't know so, how they do that exactly. And obviously, that's why they want to talk about the the, the, pro the process, right? right? That's obviously where they're the strongest, even though it, they've sort of made up these complaints that aren't grounded in anything real. Um, but but at some point, you know, especially, you know, I think Trump basically is like, talk about substance, pretend that nothing bad happened. Um, <laughs> right. And well, so, you know, that's hard. Perfect call. Perfect call, right? Well, I mean, th th know, this said. is exactly the direction this, this is going. I mean, it, and you've already heard some senators say this, uh, you know, well, maybe he did it. It's not an impeachable offense. And then others are saying that he, what, what Pema just said is, yes, he did it, and there's nothing wrong with it. And I think you're going to see four or five different iterations of he did it, but it, it, it's not impeachable. He did it, and it doesn't matter. It's not wrong. And what they want is whatever will latch on with the base, and they want chaos. The more that this is, the more that this is chaos, and there's, and 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 Democrats are having to chase. Well, it is impeachable. I mean, we, we shouldn't even go there as Democrats. We should just we should just assert that it's impeachable, not try to refute Republicans saying it isn't. Just lay out the facts and move on. Uh, but they they want chaos out of this. They'll they're, they're going to be a lot of different defense theories as we go forward. Yeah, so, Julia, you know, it it seems to me um, when we look at some of this that there will be some senators. Mitt, uh, Mitt Romney, I think, is likely to at least be more open than some of the others. I mean, the difference between the House members, there was a piece in the Post today about a guy, and I've forgotten his name, who said... Francis uh, Rooney. Right. He yeah. said that he wanted to look at the charges, and they run him out of office already. He says, I won't <laughs> run again, uh, just because they... they demand full solidarity. It's close to home. My, my, my wife is his chief of staff. So. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> but, 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 you know, um, they're elected every two yeah, years. Right. Uh, senators are elected every six years. So I do see the possibility that Romney and a handful of others, not many, but a handful of others, might raise these questions. I also, yesterday I saw someone who said, well, you know, we impeached Clinton, but we didn't convict him because it wasn't worth running a president out of office for a sexual affair. So I imagine, to your point, that they'll sort of say, well, you know, he was wrong, but it wasn't impeachable. Um, right. That's, that's well, the best right. argument that they can make. Well, I was going to say that, to me, this is so deja vu all over again. I mean, I was, do <laughs> I was doing... Bill, deja vu was always all over again. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Yogi Berra. I, 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 I was doing Crossfire at the time when the Monica Lewinsky story broke, and night one, my take was what he did, what Bill Clinton did, was wrong, but it was not an impeachable offense. And... I think that was true in 1998, but I find it hard to make that argument when you're talking about foreign policy, national security, withholding military aid in return for political dirt. There is a difference, or am I? Well, there is a difference. I mean, the whole what? thing, just, just like Katie Hill, which I know we're going to talk about later, but personal peccadilloes, as far as I'm concerned, whether they're hard, personal stuff should not drum you out of office. Um, you know, you, I mean, you shouldn't have sex with your intern, of course, but that should not draw you out of office. But these things, you're impugning, you're basically putting our nation and other nations in jeopardy by saying you're going to withhold foreign aid that Congress already voted for. So Congress said it was in our national security interest. Yes. So this almost, right. con in addition to everything else, so it's almost contempt of Congress. Yep. 
You well, know, it reminds me of Nixon with the Congressional Budget and Impoundment Act. When he impounded, this was way back, 74, 75, right. but he impounded money that Congress had a portion because he didn't want to spend it. Right. And um, Pema, it looks like that if there are articles of impeachment, which it seems that there will be, one of them will be contempt of Congress or um, oh. obstruction, obstruction, of, justice, obstruction yeah. of just right. Uh, yeah, of course. I think it'll go on for pages uh, <laughs> just, just on that topic. I think... You know, a lot of people sort of say that, oh, well, if someone so-and-so won't testify, that's fine. We'll just wrap it into an article of impeachment yep. and move on. And, you know, I think that's their best option on some level, but I think it's really dissatisfying. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, if Congress actually had the power to compel that testimony, that would be a lot more powerful. And so it's a, it's a weak substitute for what they're not able to get. Now, one very helpful addition to the debate over the in impeachment inquiry, uh, this a voice we haven't heard from in a little bit, uh, Donald Trump Jr. spoke out yesterday. <laughs> Uh, remember, the request was for the Ukraine to investigate the business dealings of the vice, former vice president and his son, Hunter. Uh, and poor Donald Trump Jr. says, if only I were Hunter Biden, here he is. I, I wish my name was Hunter Biden. I could go abroad, make millions off of my father's Everywhere. presidency. I'd be a really rich guy. It would be incredible. <laughs> but because my name is Trump, if I took $1.5 dollars from China, not 1.5 billion like Hunter, oh but 1.5 dollars, their heads would explode. My, my head is exploding. <laughs> Our heads are collectively, collectively exploding. exploding. I mean, this, this is what you call total hubris. I mean, these folks travel all over the world with our tax dollars protecting them. Go in here and open a hotel. Go in there and open in a hotel with our secret service and other stuff protecting. Ivanka walks away with how many Chinese patents, whatever, which she wouldn't have if she were not the president's daughter. So, I mean, he's telling on himself. I mean, yeah. these people, you know, the, the only thing I can say about him is they're stupid enough to tell on themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I think on some level, you know, he's really staying on message here. Um, and on some level, it shows the way in which the rest of, of Washington has kind of moved on. You know, we're not really talking about Joe Biden's misdeeds anymore. We're not talking about Hunter Biden making some pretty dubious choices here. We're talking about the president's misdeeds. And, you know, Don Jr. over here is on TV staying on message saying, yeah. it's about the Bidens, everyone. <laughs> it's, it's still about the Bidens. But, but look, you know, to the credit of, of Democrats and what they've been able to do over the last couple of weeks, um, I think the country has, has moved on from that. So, you know, it's clearly hi hypocritical. Um, but oh it it's also feels, you know, already sort of, you know, an old complaint that we've all moved on from. Boy, it just really shows that they have no shame at all. Right? No, they, they ha None they ha whatsoever. No, they have no shame, but it also shows we live in two completely different, different worlds. Right. The <laughs> people watching that program um, would buy his argument, and, and they, you know, they believe that the Trumps are mm. righteous and above board and moral, and, I mean, it, it's, it, it's stunning, but, I mean, we live in two different worlds when it comes to they that. They don't believe they're moral. <laughs> they believe they're getting what they want. Well, I mean, that's right. They, they, yeah. they really don't believe they're moral. They, 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 they love, don't care, right? They love the fact that, 45 has put his nose, his finger in everybody's face. Yep. He, they love that. The, you know, last gasp of white supremacy loves the way that he plays with race. Yep. Um, they, they don't think they're more. Uh, there may, I mean, there may be some little old lady in the backwoods of Florida <laughs> who thinks they're moral, yeah. but, but most people are very, very clear about this. They're getting what they want. Right. Florida, we should mention, uh, we don't have to spend any time on it, that uh, the newest resident for, residents of Florida are Donald and Melania Trump, who have changed their residence officially. So from they don't have to pay taxes. From New York <laughs> to, uh, to Florida, uh, to which uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo said, goodbye, good riddance, Florida, he's all yours. <laughs> which I thought was a great response. Uh, it has been less than a week since one of the most evil men on the planet, 
um, al-Baghdadi was tracked down by our U.S. Delta forces thanks to intelligence we got from the Kurds, a Kurd spy inside of Baghdadi's uh, inner circle who gave this information to the Kurds, who passed it on to us, and he was tracked down, and then he killed himself, we know, last Sunday. Here we are, a meeting Friday morning about 8.30, November 1st in Washington, and nobody's talking about this anymore. I mean, when bin Laden was killed, it went on for, for weeks. Um, nobody's talking about it. And then Donald Trump did talk about it last Sunday night, ex- describing what happened. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. Which nobody else has confirmed that that's what <laughs> happened, but Donald Trump kind of was on the was scene. He, was he actually but there? You right, know, the yeah, thing that right. struck me about his statement uh, last Sunday was that it was so unstatesmanlike. I mean, we don't, well, not that he ever has been, but, uh, but I mean, you know, the you man was... You weren't expecting anything different. Really. Well, <laughs> I didn't expect him to be so harsh, and so, you know, yeah. man died. I mean, the man did die. I right. mean, he was one of the most evil people in the world, but kids died with him. And his kids, his kids, right? Yeah, but forty-five is—he right. was whimpering like a dog. I mean, I just think that's so unstatesmanlike it, and so unnecessary. I, I, I would grant you that point. I think it was. My question of Pema, what did Trump sort of like step all over his own message in this? Is, right. I, I mean, I I think so. You know, I think as we've been talking about, I'm sure there's a segment that enjoyed the statement being made like in that way. Um, but I think to everyone else, it's so jarring that you immediately sort of go to the way in which Trump presented it rather than the news itself. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think this has, has totally disappeared. And, you know, I think on some level people are giving him credit uh, for this. This is a, you know, a, a win if you want to talk about it in those terms. Um, but yeah, he kind of like obscured the whole win immediately um, with the way that he did it. And then there's so much else going on. You know, when you have a you know, I, I, it works both ways, right? So if you have a chaos presidency where there's just a million things going on and there's constant distractions, um, then on the one hand, you benefit because when something bad happens, people move on. Uh, it also hurts you when something, you know, quote unquote, good happens for you, people move on. Um, so, you know, we're in the middle of impeachment. We've got a lot going on. He sort of gives an almost deranged sounding statement about this. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and we move on like we do with everything else. And, and the one aspect of it, is we did again I keep coming back to this we were able to get this guy thanks to the Kurds well right 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 and, and, and a and couple of days after the same we, Kurds we threw under the bus we abandoned yeah, the Kurds and, 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 and said you know out of you're out of your territory too bad and you didn't help us at all and, and I'll Anyhow. give credit to the to the media the New York Times and, and others who I don't think always uh, cover this president in the in the right in the right way, or cover certainly don't cover the campaigns in the right way. I mean, they they called it out that that we we killed Baghdadi in spite of Trump's policy, in spite of what he had uh, done to the Kurds and throwing the Kurds under the bus and pulling out of Syria. And so I think that is an, is another reason that he's not getting the credit that he probably wants. I think another reason is very few Americans knew who Baghdadi was, and everyone knew who Bin Laden was. Mm-hmm. And, right. and then also just to piggyback there, I mean, we're also talking about, you know, the one time he wants to praise the intelligence community that every other day he says is a deep state coup. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of mixed messages coming with this one. I think it's, you know, people don't know exactly what to make of everything. Right. In the midst of the impeachment vote in the House yesterday, there was a very poignant farewell uh, given by uh, a California Democrat just elected to the House, Katie Hill, 
um, who was caught in what Washington loves best, I guess, a good old-fashioned sex scandal uh, here on the floor. Uh, Katie Hill making a point. Um, okay, I'm going, but this does raise some questions. I'm leaving because there is only one investigation that deserves the attention of this country, and that's the one that we voted on today. Today, I ask you all to stand with me and commit to creating a future where this no longer happens to women and girls. I'm leaving, but we have men who have been credibly accused of intentional acts of sexual violence and remain in boardrooms, on the Supreme Court, in this very body, and worst of all, in the Oval Office. We have an entire culture that has to change, and we see it in stark clarity today. The forces of revenge by a bitter, jealous man, cyber exploitation and sexual shaming that target our gender and a large segment of society that fears and hates powerful women have combined to push a young woman out of power and say that she doesn't belong here. Yet a man who brags about his sexual predation, who's had dozens of women come forward to accuse him of sexual assault, who pushes policies that are uniquely harmful to women, and who has filled the courts with judges who proudly rule to deprive women of the most fundamental right to control their own bodies, sits in the highest office of the land. Wow. wow. <laughs> so um, is she on point? Is there a double standard for men and for women and for Republicans and for Democrats? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I listened to her um, and I, my heart really broke for her. I mean, she's a progressive young Democrat who was doing a good job now. And she didn't know that these pictures were taken. So these pictures were t apparently taken without her consent. So what one does in their own bedroom is their own business. She was openly bisexual. She never hid from that. And so she says she's got, I hope she sues that man. I hope so. I hope that he never has a clear glass of water without having to pay her for it. I mean, he basically ruined her career because he was evil mean and jealous. But she's also right about the double and triple standards. It's very ironic that the first person who gets uh, investigated for having a relationship with a staff member um, is a woman. How many men have done this? I mean, it's, it's, it's just very ironic. And basically, the whole notion of sex shaming and slut shaming uh, is alive and well. And we, yeah, men have to really stand up for this and say no enough 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 i like i said my heart breaks for her it really does uh i kept thinking about franken yeah i mean there, there's some similarities here i mean obviously the the ex-husband here is the big is the big difference but this is this is a story that was planted in right-wing media uh, it's a story that was inflamed uh that was inflamed on uh, on the right and you know and democrats i think um, Democrats in Franken's case obviously forced him forced him out. No one here, uh, I think, on the Democratic side came to Katie Hill's defense. No one said let's have an ethics investigation. No one tried to talk her out of resigning. I'll tell you, if you listen to that clip and you listen to her speech on the floor, there's a second act there. It may not be for for Al Franken simply because of how how much older he is, but it, but at her at her age, there's a there's there's definitely Absolutely. a second. Act. Al Franken's back with the podcast. Yes, he is. Uh, so, but but Pema. Um, you know, I, and again, I'm frank, David Vitter, David Vitter was soliciting prostitutes making phone calls on the floor of the Senate. <laughs> and the Republicans yep. said, well, 
That's all right. Let the voters decide, right? Yeah, I mean, th- there's sort of this sort of, um, you know, one-sided disarmament going on here, I th- <laughs> yeah. think, right? I mean, you have the Democratic Party says, you know, we want to hold ourselves to a high standard, and the Republicans say, cool, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not. We'll, we'll hold ourselves right. to a low standard. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, you, David Vitter is one. You've got um, Scott DeJarle, who's still in the House after his crazy affair abortion scandal. Um, you know, you've got, you know, that... And then, then obviously there's Trump, right? There's Kavanaugh. There's you know people who have been credibly accused, and then they throw a fit. In the Alabama yeah, Senate right. Race. And yeah. and so I, I think that there's um, a, a frustration there. And you know, on some level, with Katie Hill, it's still an evolving story, right? She's resigning, but I think there's still some questions. Um, but I think that there's the idea of like, well, we're Democrats, we're going to hold ourselves to a higher standard. And then at the same time, you have these promising politicians who are then shown the door. Right. So much to talk about. That's why we got the roundtable together today. Uh, A quick break, and we'll be right back. And today's podcast, today's roundtable, brought to you by the Iron Workers Union. Those good men and women of the Iron Workers under President Eric Dean. They are building America's communities today and they're ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow if the Congress ever uh, gets its stuff together, which they've been talking about for a long time but doing nothing about. At any rate, in the meantime, we salute the iron workers, thank them for the support of the uh, podcast, direct you to their website, which is simply ironworkers.org. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And uh, 
Welcome back. We're back, we're back with today's uh, roundtable and our panelists, Pema Levy and Julian Malveaux and Brad Woodhouse. Politics, politics, politics. Um, Introducing, before we get to 2020, um, there's been a lot of talk about um, the social media and their impact on the races, which was quickened this week when Twitter announced, well, last week when Facebook announced Yes, we're going to run political ads, but we're not going to censor them. It's up to the candidates. They can say basically whatever they want. Um, and um, Mark Zuckerberg defending that as freedom of speech. Twitter responded this week by saying, we're not going to run any political ads at all, just to stay out of this mess. Brad, who wins this one? <coughs> well, look, I don't think there's a, a, a solution to this beyond some type of regulatory framework. I mean, and, and, and maybe... Uh, I don't know if Congress can ever figure that out. I'm not saying that Congress or the federal government is, you know, is the solution to this, but we do have uh, we do have rules for network, you know, for network advertising, for access to candidates, for you know, lowest unit rate. I mean, so there there is some experience in in, in government and in Congress in in regulating political ads. I, I don't think that either Twitter's approach and certainly Zuckerberg's approach. I don't think either one. Uh, is you know is the is the solution? The Twitter thing is interesting because th they they have virtually no revenue from political advertising. So it's like it's like a decision. It's like it is, it's great. It sends a signal, but it, but it's a decision that has virtually no consequences to the but to Pema, their bottom line. Pema, does this really matter? Twitter's decision does it matter? E either one. I mean, yeah. th does it really have any re impact in the real world? So yeah, I mean, I'm of the opinion that it does. Um, I've actually spent a long time thinking about this um, move by Facebook and, and talking to civil rights advocates uh, about this. And I know that, um, you know, civil rights groups have been working with Facebook, um, mostly uh, frustratingly, um, for years to try to get them to take um, the content on their platform seriously, to try to, get, you know, take hate speech seriously, voter suppression seriously, what we call racial appeals um, right, sort of like triggering people's uh, inner racism and, and sort of, oh. you know, send. So, um, you know, when you say people can lie, and it's not just in ads, it's also just in their posts. Yes. Right? Right. Um, for politicians. And you look at the fact that, you know, how many politicians are in this country? Well, it turns out that there are about 500,000 people in elected office in this country. You, wow. you, you from your water board, you know, mm. to your county sheriff, to your county judge, to the president. Um, and then you've got people running against them. And then you've got primaries. So, I mean, I don't know, you could have 2 million people that now can basically say they can post and run whatever they want if it's, you know, hate speech, if it's a racial appeal, if it's, you know, Elon Omar is a terrorist, or all sorts of things that put people in danger, um, that spread misinformation, uh, that Facebook has gone around basically since 2016 saying, we're really sorry, we're going to crack down on this stuff. Mm -hmm. And now they've just basically said, here are a Don't million people, <laughs> do whatever you want. Hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, And then we'll clean up the mess later. And I think that, you know, that's... That's really dangerous when you're talking about, you know, um, an ecosystem where fake news and memes and and, you know, racial dog whistles take off. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I found Facebook laughable for any number of reasons. I mean, a bunch of us who are black nationalists have been I was put in Facebook jail, I think, three times um, that when they put you in jail, you can't post anymore, oh. Except, oh. you know, because I described an incident that occurred. I said, this white boy. So they said, this is hate speech. I mean, it's a description. Um, right. So they put me in Facebook jail. Uh, so while, while they are, um, you know, basically screening my description, and I put the guy's picture up there. That was kind of mean, but whatever. Um, 
they will put any kind of lie on there. We know that the Russians and others used Facebook to target the African-American community and to suppress the vote. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that they're laughable. Uh, the, at the same time, I'm, I'm not sure about Twitter. As you say, they don't get that much money from political right. ads. So, but they're, making a, they're taking a, a, a stand and making a statement. Mm-hmm. Facebook, need, these ads need to be uh, filtered just like they filter everything else. And they're not trying to do that because they make too much money. And I mean, Zuckerberg's performance in Congress was laughable. It was utterly laughable. And I think you know members of Congress are still trying to figure out what to do. But I'm not sure, Brad, that, regu- I mean, there's so much of an anti-regulatory um, consciousness that I'm not sure how you regulate something like that. But there has to that's, be something. That and that's a question that a lot of people in Congress are, are, are struggling with. So on the 2020 front, there were two polls out this week. One showed Joe Biden uh, national polls uh, up 15 points, and the other showed Elizabeth Warren, I forget which was which, up seven points. Um, what's going on, and has this boiled down <laughs> to a race between Biden and Elizabeth Warren, or Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg still in the picture, or anybody else? Well, you know, first of all, the whole issue of sample size, sample size and who is your sample. So you can lie with statistics. I mean, I taught a (laughs) course about that once called You Can Lie With Statistics. You can go find what you want. And, you know, some of these are frequent voters. Some of these are the total universe. Some of these are just Iowans. And so I think when you look at these, what we know is that it's Warren, Biden, probably Sanders, maybe Buttigieg, um, maybe Kamala hanging there. Sort of, you know, well, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. a sister has to have hope. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but in any case, we know there's a top five, and maybe there's a top three inside the top five. And I think these these polls are pretty much I, meaningless. I think the Iowa is going to be the I, story. Look, I, I think we we need to see more credible polls in Iowa, and New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. The national polls we know don't matter. This is not this is not a, this is not a national race. I think that you're going to see in November and December. I think is key who makes the debate stage. It looks like most of the top candidates and some of the candidates that probably don't have a shot are going to make the debate stage for November. Uh, fewer will make it for December. But I think you're, as you get closer to the vote in Iowa, more people are going to be tuning in. And I, and I think these debates take on higher importance. And so I think a, a, a debate where someone really soars has the potential. You know, if you get a bounce this late, you may be able to sustain it. Um, we saw we saw bounces in early on in some of these debates that weren't that weren't sustained. Yeah. So I think these debates are really really key. I think someone that is that is below the Warren Sanders uh, Biden level could could pop up. Buttigieg seems to be the most likely. I think Harris is still uh, very much uh, very much in this in that in that regard. And so I think the debates are really key. But the momentum does seem to be with Elizabeth Warren, doesn't it, Emma? Yeah, do you, do you agree? I, I, yeah, I, I do agree with that. Um, I, I think that um, there is also some momentum with Buttigieg, especially in Iowa. And I do sort of agree that, you know, you have like this mismatch where you have these national polls, um, but then you have, you know, you have Iowa and New Hampshire. And I think, you know, the Biden folks are basically like, well, yeah, we're not going to win either of those, but we'll come in strong in South Carolina. Yeah, and in fact, but br- these things build on each other, right? It's, it's hard mm-hmm. to sort of come mm-hmm. off of two losses and then and then sort of build and then win and then and then sort of, you know, change that narrative that way. So I think that there's a lot of questions about whether or not you can have basically no momentum for the next five months and then win. Certainly and Biden is, is setting the expectations <coughs> right for, for right. Iowa and New Hampshire. And yeah. so you right. know, it's possible that a that a pretty decent second place win in one of those will, you know, I don't think he'll be out of the race losing both unless he falls, I think, below 
below second place in both will be will be tough. Well, right. South Carolina then, is going to be really telling for, so, yeah. for, for Biden especially. Yeah. I mean, he has yep. really worked. It'll the be make or break. Yeah. 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 He's really worked the African-American community there. And, you know, a lot of the baby boom generation favors him over the others. Uh, you know, Kamala and Cory Booker have not been able to make the inroads that many of us thought they would in South Carolina. So if he comes in second or third in South Carolina, it's like, Okay, pack your bags. Well, well, one thing I'll say about Biden is he's had some staying power. We, we've seen a lot of examples over the years where people who came in as the front runners in the spring were were decidedly not uh, in the top of the pack later on. They could not sustain that, and he is he is still at the top of the at the top of top the pack. Three, yeah. right, just so. one quick one quick point. Looking around the table, does anybody here see anybody else jumping in, or is it? Too oh, late. No. 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 Okay. No. And my, there was, there my was Republican no. friends keep saying Hillary Clinton's going to get in. I'm like, yeah. no, she's not going to get. She's not going to get in. Or Bloomberg, and, or I don't think so. Sherrod Brown, too, or no. No, it's too I late. think okay. this is it. This yeah. is it. This yeah. is it. Okay. And it's plenty. Now, 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 <laughs> then there is. Uh, we've put the best off to last. Now there is the biggest and the most important story of the entire week. Uh, it happened Wednesday night. Here they are. One strike away, one out away. Three, two. Here it is! Woo! 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 time in franchise history. Man, good for the Nats and good for Washington, good for all of us. It was a great, great moment. Uh, right? Who wants to start? Bama. Okay, look, in, in all honesty, I was asleep when they won. Oh, but. but um, <laughs> Shame on you. I did notice the next day when I went to the gym in the morning, and I was the only person there, uh, that the rest of the city <laughs> had, the, had really in, enjoyed this. And no, I honestly, yeah, like, you know, this city's in a weird place right now, right? We don't get representation in Congress, um, even though we pay our taxes. Um, we've got someone in the White House that only 4% of the city voted for. There's a, there's a lot going on in the city that's messed up. There's gentrification issues. There's, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, and look, it's nice to all be able to come together and, and have a, a, a win and, and sort of show the, show the rest of the country that we're not just a swamp. We're not just the National Mall. There's, there's a lot of people here um, with a lot of pride for our, our city. And they are such a great team and have so much fun and, right, so much energy and just... And I, I saw yesterday, 3% is what the chances were in the beginning yeah. of the season that they would make the playoffs. Yeah, 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 now yeah. they're the world champs. Well, at, 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 uh, at 12 under 500, they had a 1.5% shot of, uh, of getting to the World Series. I mean, it, it, was, it was tremendous. I mean, my, my, my family, particularly my daughter, we went to a lot of the games. We didn't go to the World Series games. I didn't, wasn't going to take out a second mortgage. But, uh, but it, we, we were just enthralled. I mean, it, it, it is, it's so nice to have something in this city that people of every demography, every political background can all uh, pull for all at the, you know, all at the same time. It, it, it was, and, and it's nice to, to, that, that in this town, it's not just whether the Redskins are, are performing yeah. well or not. You know, we now have, you, you mean the Washington now, football the Washington team. football team. Yes. We now have, <laughs> we, we, we now have, you know, we have the champion uh, mystics. We have caps? The, the, the previous uh, Stanley cup champion caps. And now we have, uh, we have the Nats and anyone that says this is not a sports town, can stick it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> you know what the it thing about it that was so interesting is that neither team won at home. 
I you know, I mean, that no. was really, it you, was really, you'll never see that in your lifetime. Again. No, it's really fascinating. So we basically pulled it out in Houston, mm -hmm. but I must say, I'm not disrespecting one of my colleagues, but Roland Martin came on the air last Monday with his Houston Astros Jersey on Ooh. and talked a whole bunch of dookie. Watch out with the language there. <laughs> no, I intend to go on the air Monday with a, Wizards, <laughs> not no, a Wizards, but a, a, a Nats cap on. I'm, someone's going to have to lend me one, but I'm yeah. going to have to go up because just to, to stick yeah. it back, there were so yeah. many people who were so certain that, you know, the Nats couldn't pull it out. So it was really cool to see them pull it out. All right. Great discussion. Great conversation. A lot to cover. Uh, and we always ask you, uh, is, was there any story during the week that just caught your attention that you thought was might be worth uh, sharing with us this morning? Who wants to start? Um, I will. Okay. Um, I, you know, I'm going to get ahead of the curve in terms of stories. So Wednesday was a lot of rain in D.C., and today it's 20 degrees lower than it was the day before. We're getting into the Thanksgiving season, and I want to talk a little bit about homelessness. I mean, it's something that we don't talk about, but, you know, there are more than a half a million people on any given night who don't have any place to live. Uh, the number, actually, according to HUD, is about 552,000. And... Um, Obviously, Congress isn't doing anything about that. When you elect a clown, expect a circus. And so, you know, they're not focusing on this. But I think that we should, Bill. I think that you're going to see, as you know, you come up on, head, on Thanksgiving, you get those headlines. And, you know, let's talk about it early. Talk about the fact that 70% of the homeless are men, that half of them are white, but African Americans are way overrepresented. We're like 13% of the population and 40% of the homeless. You have more kids who are on the streets and more women. And yeah. so this is and something that basically deserves attention. And coming from California, I yeah. mean, very, San Francisco very serious yeah. because it's so beautiful out there. And, you know, Santa Monica, Los Angeles, San Francisco, very, very serious problem, getting more serious. Every day. And I don't know anybody who has the answer to it. Well, well California, on, on, that, on that downer. Um, <laughs> well, I didn't mean to be a downer. No, no, I know. I'm just kidding. But just, but just mentioning real quickly, California, New York, and Florida are the top uh, states oh. for homelessness. Yeah. Emma? Um, all right, I'll, I'll go in a, a, a maybe different direction. a different direction. I wanted to say lighter, but it's m not. It's just kind of spookier and weirder. Oh. Have you guys heard about this McKinley Mansion? So there no. was, there's no. a post story about it this week, and I heard friends talking about it. It's this, um, I'm using scare quotes here, haunted house in Tennessee. Um, but it's not really a haunted house. Basically, you have to get screened for all the, like, you know, is your heart working? Are you like a... And you're in good physical shape, then you have to sign like a 40 page waiver. And then you go into this and you basically go and agree that you, they can basically do all sorts of weird shit to you in this house for like to 10 scare the hours. hell out of you. It can go up to but 10 hours, hours? and they psychographically profile you so they like know, like, oh, oh, you're you are afraid of dogs, so like we're gonna like break you until you have like with all these dogs, mm. whatever they do, it's like they they oh. profile you this and then here? they tailor it to you, yeah, and so. No one has ever completed it. No one has ever stuck through to have to pay to, the to go end. in there? Um, there's some sort of weird payment thing. Well, you have to pay. Uh, you bring, like, oh. a bag of dog food for the owner's, like, dog. <laughs> and then if you, like, do, if you, oh, like, God. if you, like, um, wimp out on certain things inside, they, like, start charging you money. It's a total crazy thing. There's a huge petition going on being, like, this is literally torture. Like you have to shut regulars have to shut this down, and then the guy who runs it. Why do you? Well, the guy who runs it is like, no, I don't torture people. I just hypnotize them into thinking they're tortured. It's it's totally bizarre. But look, you can't what? enter into a contract to break a law, right? So if you're breaking the law, you're breaking the law. You can't. What's the name of the place again? I think this it's McCammy. 
And I think I saw the piece of it. M-C-K-A-M-E-Y mansion. Right. It's totally crazy. It doesn't seem legal to me. I'm not a lawyer, but seems seems totally crazy. But apparently some people want to sign a 40-page waiver and then mm. walk into a house where people will then go get prey on your worst up. fears. Uh, remind me not to go there. <laughs> All right, Brad. <laughs> All right, so I'm going I'm to go back to the Nats. Oh, uh, okay. You were Good. Wa- watching, um, you, you were watching the post-game celebration. Uh, there, was, there was an embrace that I think just was everything that you would ever want to see um, in humanity and sports and friendship. It was uh, Annabelle Sanchez, who is uh, uh, one of the starting pitchers for the Washington Nationals, mm-hmm. and, and Matt Scherzer, who had pitched together in Detroit on a World Series team that I believe – uh, I believe was swept, and so they the one time they had a chance at a World Series, they both lost. Uh, I, Scherzer obviously eventually came to the Nats. Sanchez was kind of run out of Detroit, having had a couple really tough seasons. He spent a season in Atlanta trying to get his career back, thought about retirement, wound up here this year, started out pretty mm-hmm. poorly, lost his first six games, and the two of them embraced on the field afterwards, and Sanchez – uh, with tears in his eyes and Scherzer with tears in his eyes, we finally won. We finally won one. Great moment. Just, great it moment. was just yeah. one of the greatest moments in in sports. Uh, that was a it was a great moment indeed. Uh, so my favorite story is uh, I'm known as, as I try very hard not to swear on these podcasts, but I'm known as sort of a kind of a potty mouth, and so <laughs> I was uh, pleased to just to read this week about. A study from Keele University in England, um, where they talk about the power of profanity, uh, and they did a study, and which really showed you're that when me, Bill. I'm not <laughs> shitting you, <laughs> that uh, when you're working out, uh, it really helps if you swear to get more power and more strength by just cussing the, your way through a, your workout, riding a bicycle, more power, more strength. Even it gives you a rush of adrenaline. They they found and boosts your heart rate and your breathing rate, and even if you like have an injury, you hurt your toe or your finger, and you swear the hell out of it, uh, it helps your body come back to pa- combat the pain. So I, I just want us all to know, you can swear up a storm, and you'll feel better, you'll live longer, and... Uh, this is a clip I'm going to have to send to some people, because I, too, have been accused of the potty mouth no. thing, and I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I, I will say that in the uh, mansion, the, the haunted mansion, um, they do charge you every time you swear, so... That oh, was this one mansion of the things. sounds oh, yeah. like it's totally non-fun. Just <laughs> right, right. I, I know. All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you, uh, Pamela, for, Pamela from Mother Jones, uh, Julianne Malvo from Black Press USA, yep. uh, and uh, Brad Woodhouse from Protect Our Care. Time for my parting shot, which I always hasten to add is not necessarily my, the, my views only, not necessarily views of the panelists. But for my parting shot today, I have to tell you that last Sunday, October 27, was a historic day for me. I attended my very first World Series game, Game 5, between the Nats and the Astros. And for the very first time, I stood up and booed a president of the United States, and I'm glad I did both. Now, not everybody agrees it was the right thing to do, of course. Senator Chris Coons said it made him uncomfortable. Joe Scarborough on MSNBC actually called it un-American. I disagree for three reasons. One... Donald Trump didn't belong at that game in the first place. He's not a Nats fan. He's never been to a Nats game, and he wasn't invited to this one. He just announced he was coming. Two, I didn't care whether he was there or not, actually, as long as we didn't have to look at him. 
And then, while we were standing to cheer members of the military in attendance, they suddenly switched the big screen to show draft dodger Donald Trump. And the entire crowd immediately started booing and then spontaneously started chanting, lock him up. And I lustily joined in because, three number three, why should we treat Donald Trump with respect when he treats nobody else with respect? This week, for example, calling career diplomats human scum. And, of course, he's the one who started the chant, lock her up for Hillary, and today, lock him up for Joe Biden. So, don't feel sorry for Donald Trump. He was just getting a taste of his own medicine, which he deserved. But... As we just talked about, the best part is that Donald Trump did not jinx the Nats. They went on to win the World Series. Go Nats. Uh, and that's it. That's a wrap for today's roundtable. Thanks again to our panelists, Julian Malvo, Brad Woodhouse, and Pamela Levy. And thanks to all of you for listening. And please, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. It's easy. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn. Search for the Bill Press Pod and click on subscribe. And the best way to find about every new podcast is by following me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod. Speaking of which, you won't want to miss our next podcast and my interview with former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe. He was thinking about running for president in 2020. Could he still jump in? If not, might he run again for governor in 2021? And what's going, on, what's going to happen in the big legislative races in Virginia on November 5? Virginia is turning bluer and bluer. As Virginia goes, so goes the nation. Well, we'll talk about that with Terry McAuliffe in our next podcast. Don't miss it. Thanks again to our panelists. Thanks again to all of you. Stay strong, and we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.